So this is our last Sunday in Exodus for a while, although I'm really glad that we've spent a lot of time in Exodus because I think as we move ahead, we'll see the stories of Exodus reflected in the rest of Scripture. So it's been an important summer. Our text for today is the Ten Commandments that are found in the 20th chapter of Exodus. And my favorite metaphor for the Ten Commandments is a backyard that is set up by a good parent for their children. So in a backyard set up by a good parent, there is probably a playscape that is safe and fun. There might be a swimming pool that's good for exercise, makes the children strong. There might be a treehouse, a treehouse designed and built personally by the parent. The more time you spend in the treehouse, the more you learn about the designer. And there is a fence in a good backyard. There's a fence. You don't go outside the fence when you're a child. If you do, you might get lost. You might get hurt. To be quite honest, when you step outside the fence, you can't see your parent from outside the fence. So when we read the text this morning, this is what I hope you'll hear. I hope you hear first and foremost this. Play hard. Play hard because you are meant for freedom. Swim. Swim in your family. Honor one another. It'll make you strong. Spend time in Sabbath Sabbath rest. The more time you spend in Sabbath rest, the more you learn about the designer, about God. But don't. Don't do these things. Don't engage in deceptive, empty talk. Don't act selfishly or even violently in those places. In those places, God is hard to find, and we are in danger. This is the scripture passage from the 20th chapter of Exodus, verses 1 through 17. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents, to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in it, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Uh, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox 
or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the Ten Commandments, or they are God's statements for our blessing. They are found in the story of God. They are for the people of God. Would you say with me, thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. Well, the Ten Commandments are a list, and I like a good list. I often in my day-to-day life deal in lists where I write out what I have to do. And the way that I work a list is the triage. (laughs) So I, when I have a list, I want to know what's most important. Like, where do I need to start? What's the most pressing thing? First things first. So I want this morning for us to take a second glance at this list of statements, at this list of commands, and consider what emerges from the list as the most significant or the most important command. Now, you need to know that we are not the first to ask that question of this list. And if we disagree, you and I disagree about what is most significant or what is most important on the list, we are not the first to disagree on the matter. Faithful people have been dialoguing and disagreeing with the hope That revelation does, in fact, come in dialogue for thousands of years. And if there is anything that I think we could glean from our Jewish brothers and sisters, let it be this, that disagreement, disagreement with you does not make you dangerous to me or even less than me. But revelation can, in fact, come in places where we see things differently. We might see things in a new way. So let's start, let's start with commandment number four. Many wise people have said that the fourth commandment is the most significant or the most important command. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So some sort this list of ten commands into two different groups, and they say that the first three commands are about our relationship with God, and then the commands that are listed as five through ten concern our relationship with one another, our our relationship with our neighbors. So that makes this fourth command the place where where they shift, the place where there's a pivot from our relationship with God to our relationship with one another. And you could even say that in keeping the Sabbath, we do both those things. We value God and we value neighbor. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, teaches that Pharaoh's commands can be found in Exodus. You can find Pharaoh's commands in chapter 5 of Exodus. And here's what Pharaoh's commands sound like. They sound like this. This is what Pharaoh says to Moses and Aaron. Why are you taking the people away from work? Get to your labor. And then later on in chapter 5, Pharaoh says this. You are lazy. You're lazy. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord because you're lazy. So go now and work. (laughs) For no straw will be given to you, but you shall still deliver the same number of bricks. 
So you could say that this command, command number four, remember the Sabbath, stands in opposition to what Pharaoh wants from people, from what his commands are about. Work harder. Work longer. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote that if you keep this fourth command, if you keep this command, well, you're likely to keep the other nine. And so this one, for him, was also the most significant. This is the longest command. It has the most words in it. And, and um, when practicing this command, it's important that, to notice that we're imitating God when we practice this command. It's at the very end of this command. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them. But the Lord rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he consecrated it. When we keep this command, we're imitating who God is and what God does. So maybe it's the fourth command. But let's jump ahead to the fifth command, because some say that the fifth command is the most significant or the most important of the list. This is honor your father and mother. None of my children are. Oh, one of my children is here at this service. Alice, listen to this. Honor your father and mother could be the most important command. Now, the word honor uh, in Hebrew doesn't translate into the word obey. Obedience is a part of honoring your father and mother, but the word is, uh, is bigger than that. The word means to give weight to. So when you honor your father and mother, you're giving weight to them. You're giving to them the dignity that's appropriate, the dignity that is, that is due to them. So it's not a far stretch to imagine that the parent-child relationship would be a new relationship to navigate for these Egyptian slaves because uh, they are now lucky to know who their parents are. As slaves, they might not have known who their parents were. And so what are they going to do about it in this new world of freedom? What are they going to do about now knowing who's in their family, now knowing who their parents are? Well, one thing that this command says, that this command um, commands not only suggests, strongly suggests, is that they're not going to drive their parents out of the house when their parents can no longer contribute. In this command, right order is established between those who have power and those who have vulnerability. And so um, in the Israelite house, those who would be vulnerable would be the older parents. In, in many of our houses, the vulnerable ones are the younger children. But I think that this command says that we honor those who are vulnerable in our households. It is important how we treat one another, how we live together, and we give honor, we give weight to those who don't seem to have weight within the household. We allow that to them. We give that to them. Um, this command also says that what the Israelites do about honoring their mother and their father will determine their staying power in the promised land. It says, um, so that your days will be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so while this is the first of the neighbor relationship commands, I suspect that it continues to tell us a little bit about who God is, about God's identity. So not only would God desire to be honored as a good parent, but that God probably also deals in honor. God has a propensity to honor. 
And I believe that command tells us this. All right, well, let's jump backwards. Let's consider the first command as the most important command because that makes sense in any list, right? That you would just put the first things first. You would put the most important things first. So um, here's the thing about number one. (laughs) The thing about the first commandment is uh, that it's a little bit tricky because there's even some debate about what the very first command is. So you have it in front of you, and there are two competing schools of thought here. There are some who say that the first command is this, you shall have no other gods before me. And so if you see a list of commands framed on a wall or in front of a courthouse um, or in front of a church, that's probably what you're going to see. You shall have no other gods before me. What's significant When the first command is, you shall have no other gods before me, is the Lord's priority, right? There are other places that we can put our allegiance. There are other places that we can put significance, but it's not really wise. One rabbinic teaching goes like this. You can divide the world up into two different categories. You can divide the world up into those things that are created and those things that are uncreated. Well, this this stack over here of created things is really big. And then this stack over here of uncreated things, it's one thing. It's the Lord. It's God. And so the rabbinic teaching goes, don't take these things over here that are created things and move them over here to this stack that's uncreated. Don't give this significance. It doesn't deserve. It doesn't deserve. Um, So there are others who say that, okay, let's... So let's talk about the other school of thought about what is the first command. So the first command could be you shall have no other gods before me and and to take a created thing and put it in this uncreated stack would be idolatry, right? To give it weight that it doesn't have. But what if the first command is not you shall have no other gods before me? What if it's not about behavior? But what if you back up a little bit from verse 3 and you go to verse 2 and you look at the first part of that statement? There's a Jewish philosopher, Maimonides, who said that this is the first command, that I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is a positive command. It's a statement of belief. And this is, in fact, the first commandment he wrote. So we distinguish between these two schools of thought by saying, if you have a list of, you could have a list of of commands that is just about rules of behavior, or you could have a first command that's not about a rule of behavior, but it instead reflects the story that the people are living into. It's a positive command and a statement of faith. Now, um, Many ancient Near East treaties between two groups uh, were organized the same ways. And they would have, in a treaty, you would have a preamble and you have a historical statement and then you would have terms and conditions. So you could say, well, what's going on in the first part of this command? It's not a, it's not a positive command, but instead what's going on in, is a preamble. And then after the preamble, there's a historical review, and then the Ten Commands, which are rules of behavior, are actually terms and conditions. So you could side that way. Are you beginning to see that there are two very different schools of thought on what's the first command? But let me tell you, let me tell you that I really like the idea that the narrative is so significant for the people of God and how they live 
that a statement of faith would in fact be the first command. It occurs to me that just lifting ten uh, descriptions of how we behave, ten rules of behavior out of this biblical story and putting them in a frame or carving them in stone and putting them uh, before a courthouse might not be helpful to anyone, but instead it could be harmful. Taken out of context, these commandments don't look like a fence around a playground, but taken out of commandments, taken out of context, these commandments could instead look more like a razor fence at a prison. Taken out of context, these ten rules might look also like one of those underground fences. We had one of these at, at, a, at our house, our previous house, for our dog, to keep our dog on the property. And so you put an underground fence and then the dog wears the shock collar. So what if you have no context, no idea of this story, but these ten commands are put in your face? Isn't it kind of like a shock? <laughs> it's kind of like a shock around your neck. In our discussion of the text this week, Pastor Matt pointed out that how God identifies God's self to his people is significant in Exodus chapter 20. God no longer says to the Israelites, I am the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, I'm the God of Jacob. But instead, in chapter 20 of Exodus, God identifies God's self by saying, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who brought you out of slavery, as if to say, you know who I am. You know my identity because you shared in this story with me. You are a part of it. This just happened. You know who I am because you have firsthand experience of me. I like that idea. I like that idea that sharing in the story is a significant part of the very first command, and it's foundational for the rest of the directives. I saw a story this week about a group that has just uh, started up in 2017 called the People's Supper. And the People's Supper just organizes dinner for groups of people around the country, strangers who don't want another, don't know one another, but have different political opinions or different philosophical opinions. It gathers these people together around the dinner table. Now, the hope of the People's Supper was that in 100 days they could organize 100 dinners. But what actually happened in 100 days is they organized 250 dinners. And the thought about why it was successful, the theory on why it works, is because the host focuses the conversation on story before moving on to what people believe how they act, what their principles are. So around the table, people get to know one another by sharing how they've gotten to be the person they are now. In the story that I saw, there was a young woman who was an African, African-American who said when she sat down at the table, she looked across the table and she said, there's, there's Kathy. She's a white female cop. And then after the, after the discussion and after the dinner table, she, looked, she said she looked across the table and she said, oh, my friend Kathy, she's also a cop. <laughs> so people got to know one another, that the story was so significant. And I believe as human beings, more significant than our ability to rationalize, more significant than our ability uh, to bring logic to a situation is our ability to narrate 
to hear a story, to tell a story, to live into a story. And that really and truly is what I believe makes Scripture important. That Scripture has made sense for thousands of years to millions and millions of people, not because of the history that's in it or not because of the logic that's in it, but it's because of the story. It's the story that helps us to piece together our lives and transforms our lives. So we're not going to go through all ten of the commands, but let me give you one last one last possibility is command number 10. What if command number 10 is the most notable of the list? You shall not covet. So the argument goes a little bit like this. The argument goes that this is the last on the list. So it's the pinnacle. It's the climax of the list. If you keep this one, rabbis say you've kept the other nine. Coveting is a desire that can lead us to action. And the action that coveting leads us to uh, would dismiss or disregard another person in our community. Coveting is reaching with the intent to grasp something that's not ours. And this command takes us on a tour of the neighborhood uh, of the Israelite, right? So it's don't covet your neighbor's home, their wife, the slave, ox, donkey, anything that belongs to them. Coveting has just this nervous, anxious energy about it. And I believe that what's opposite of coveting is contentment. And so when Paul wrote in the New Testament to the Philippians, he writes about being content. He writes about being accepted in who he is and in God's provision. He says this, I've learned now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as I am with much, with much as with little. I found a recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything. And the one who makes me who I am. So I think just one last thing on summing up these Ten Commandments for us, is to consider what's been going on in Virginia the last couple of days. And I would tell you that there's nothing in any of these commands that would support the idea that we should put ourselves or our quality or our group ahead of other groups or other people. But not only does not coveting tell us to let go and to trust, but all of these commands teach us to let go, and to trust in God's good provision for us. I suspect that there was one person who was able to keep all of these Ten Commands. And the one that I suspect was able to keep all of these Ten Commands, because there really is no mastery to these Ten, right? The one who was able to keep all of these Ten Commands would, be, would, have, would have been Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote, that the only thing that Jesus added to these commands was his ability to keep them. So whenever Jesus is asked about a commandment or he teaches about a commandment in the New Testament, whoever is listening, it's like he pushes them further. Take on more of this command. Do more of it because in this command you'll find greater freedom. On the topic of murder, remember, Jesus talked about anger and words of judgment. On the topic of adultery, he talked about lust. On the topic of property and theft, he said, give even more than, than is asked of you. On the topic of truth, he said, how much do you really know about the truth anyways? 
Jesus always, always made a connection between the law that was given to the people and the freedom that was available to them. He wanted people to gain more freedom, and he wanted them to see that there was greater and greater freedom for them in God's commands. I think it's because Jesus knew the point. He knew the point of the commands, and he knew the point of the biblical story. The point of both is freedom. And so really when Jesus is teaching people, and really when we hear these commands, we should be asking ourselves, how much freedom do we want? The possibility is endless. We can have as much freedom as we will take on. We, will have as, we can have as much freedom as we are willing to move into. So how much do we want? How much do you want? How much freedom? It's there for you.